0: If you'd stand with me, and we're going to read scripture here for this morning. This is from uh, Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. Jesus there left there and went to his hometown, occupied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked? What's the wisdom that has been given to him? What are these miracle or these remarkable miracles that he's doing and performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except, in his own hometown, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of prayer or lack of faith. Amen.
1: You may be seated. Will you thank Lori and the worship team and Ginger and Dana? Dana, a special thank you from me to you. That's my father-in-law, and he could have gotten up here and shared stories about me, and and he didn't. So uh, anyhow. Okay, let's close in prayer, all right? (laughs) Uh, Also, a big thank you to Julie Burns and David Perez for giving me a break these last couple of weeks. Will you thank them? All right, well, good morning. Thank you for being here. Those of you online, thank you for joining us online. Uh, I have a question. Who in here, by show of hands, how many of you on your front door have a no soliciting sign? Okay, well, I got honest ones. How many of you actually have a no soliciting sign on your door? Yeah, yeah, it's because you don't love people, and that's fine. We have one too, okay? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, how many of you, another question, how many of you have had to be the solicitor before? Yeah, I mean, it takes a special person to be a solicitor, to, to to just do sales at all. I mean, because what you really have to get used to is rejection, don't you? You come up against all the objections, you come up against all the reasons, and oftentimes my approach has just been when I see them coming, I just like close the curtains and, and that's that. And even if even if they ring the doorbell, it's really interesting what we do. And maybe this just happens in our house, but it's like, don't move. Don't let them hear you. As, as if they can tell you what to do in your own house. I mean, but, but we'll, we'll tiptoe around. Well, finally, what helped me get over this was our son, Lincoln. I'll play basketball with him. And one day, I think it was a couple of Jehovah's Witnesses were coming up the sidewalk and, and we're playing basketball. And he said, excuse me, can we, can we talk to you? And I was like, well, we're playing basketball right now. That, that won't really work. So we kept playing and they just stood there. And um, Lincoln was like, they're just standing there. And I was like, well, if you ignore them, they'll go away. You know, they, they, they really will. Um, but they, they stayed for a little while. But anyhow, um, there's, there's this thing, though, that I realized happened in having the generic no soliciting sign up. And, and there are some really creative ones. My favorite are some friends of ours. They just hand wrote theirs. And it just simply says, no soliciting, and then... There's a little line break, and it says, seriously, no soliciting. And then below that, it says, really don't. You're going to make it awkward. And, and I thought, that's brilliant. But I realized that as long as I have no soliciting on the door, there may be that one thing that I miss out on. And, and what it took to realize this was actually, um, I think we had like a two-year stretch where I stopped and I went, Kara, have you noticed we haven't gotten anybody coming around to sell Girl, Girl Scout cookies? And she's like, well, yeah, because we have no soliciting on the door. I was like, yeah, but nobody listens to it. Like, they all show up. I had to hand out flyers for a real estate agent years ago. He paid by the flyer, passed out. And I, I just remember I came to a no soliciting sign. It was like the fourth one in a row. So I just dropped all the flyers in the, in the milk box and got paid by the flyer. But anyway, so... But I, I, I realized we're, we're not getting Girl Scout cookies. I know they're not Oreos, but they're still like a close second. And so this is our no soliciting sign now. This is actually our front door. Um, and about six months ago, a guy showed up to our door and he's like, I'm with the Girl Scouts. And I was like, well, that's creepy. So, and, and sent him on his way. All right. <laughs> uh, one truth for you this morning. One truth. Limited views make limited lives. Limited views make limited lives. And I'm sure you can draw the parallels with that in many areas of life. But the truth is, when we close the door, when we put the sign up, when we limit our viewpoint, especially when it comes to Jesus, the result is a limited life with Jesus. Now, some of you may need to hear that for yourself. But actually, that's not my aim this morning. My aim, is I, as I went through Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, what I realized is that that's a truth you need to know about those around you, those who aren't sitting here with you this morning, that when you walk out these doors and when you get home and you're amongst your neighbors and, and family members and coworkers this week, limited views make limited lives. And you and I walk out the doors every single day and we walk through the week, every single week, among people that have limited views of Jesus. I say that because as I look, you just stop and think about if you're just joining us, we're going through the book of Mark. In the first five chapters of Mark, it's really interesting this movement that's taking place. Because Jesus is really, it's like this ministry without limit. I mean, the, the range of situations that he steps into, it's incredible. I mean, he, he steps into things that it's just, he comes up against human lim- limitations and God's just doing things through him. And, and we're wowed by it, but you stop and you go, has Jesus probably figured ministry out? Yes. Yes, I'm amazed at how often I think, God, you'd really be in trouble without me, you know. And so, but you just look through chapters 1 through 5 of Mark, and there's just no situation Jesus doesn't step into. And the crowd is building, and disciples are starting to follow. And then we get to chapter 6. And here in chapter 6, and moving forward, we're actually, like, a change is taking place. And what you're going to see is that while this crowd has been building, and disciples have been following and it's really just, he, he's drawing this crowd. We're going to see it begins to get cold a little bit. And Jesus is actually going to let people see some situations. And they're going to get into some situations. Gonna, it causes some people to have to make a decision. They go, oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, I mean, Jesus, I was on board with you when, when you were doing work in my life. And I was on board with this when it, was, when it was exciting. And we were seeing all kinds of stuff. But, oh, I don't know about this. And so that's where we are in Mark chapter 6. And as we go through Mark chapter 6, what I realized is that really what Jesus is bringing people up against and what Jesus himself is coming up against are objections. And in the passage that Dana just read, in Mark chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, what you see is really a rejection of Jesus. And the same objections that are coming up for Jesus are still alive and well today, 2,000 years later. In fact, we'll look at what four of those objections are this morning. But let me dive in to the passage here for a minute. This is in chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, Jesus left there and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. Now his hometown, as we know, is Nazareth. And Nazareth had this reputation amongst people. It was just not good. Verse 2, When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. They asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's performing? You notice, have you noticed what they're noticing? It's all the stuff that Jesus can do. But in just a moment, the the emphasis is going to change. And they're going to move off the things that Jesus is doing onto their perception of his being, who he actually is. See, people, people are drawn to the message of Jesus when it feels good and when they love what's going on and they love what he's doing for them. But now we're, we're kind of turning a corner. And he's going to begin to bring out more of this truth about a life connected to God and a life of following him. And people are going to begin to raise objections. And as I said, you, you see, I counted four objections just in what they say here. And as you think about these objections, you come up against them. Maybe in yourself, maybe in those around you, but every single day, every single week, we face these. Here, let's look at the first one. <clears throat> Verse three, just, just four words. Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this the carpenter? I mean, they had seen him. They had seen him growing up and his trade was carpentry. And a, car- a carpenter was really an artisan in that day. But nobody expected a carpenter... to to perform miracles and and teach these just incredible wisdom in the synagogue. And so there's this prejudice inside him on account of his origin, his circumstances. As you stop and think about it, I mean, do you know anybody that judges a book by its cover? No, that doesn't happen anymore, does it? Of course it does. Of course it does. See, this is one of the objections people have to Jesus. If it looks like Jesus smells like Jesus, seems like Jesus in any way, have you, noticed, have you noticed how silent culture goes on Jesus himself? All you have to do is watch um, pro sports interviews. Anybody you find that tries to bring up Jesus, you will generally see a, an edit cut there. They just strike his name from the record over and over and over it's the culture that we live in that's the first objection it's this outward appearance that they saw of him you know as they looked at as they looked at him i mean there's no doubt they couldn't find any fault in his character and so they went after his trade i mean aren't there some trades that we just we can stereotype and we associate with yeah you still come up against it today the outward appearance of christ objection number 2 if you keep going Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? Aren't his sisters here with us? Can you see what they're doing? They're going, oh, yeah, we know some people tied to Jesus. Now, I don't know if this is what they were getting at, but if I think about today in 2022, isn't this what we do? I mean, maybe you've experienced this. You've maybe heard somebody say, oh, I went to church once, but this person, this person or that person. You know, we seem to make people the issue as though it's Jesus' fault, right? Let me come back to Hollywood for a minute. Think about all the different shows that portray a Christian. Aren't they just weirdos in all the shows? And that's not to say we're not weirdos. There's some weirdos. Not, not in this room, just elsewhere, okay? No, we, we, we all can be weird, but what happens is it's an emphasis on people instead of Jesus. And so people will look around, and one of their objections is they'll say, anybody who's associated with Jesus, that's my reason for not following them. Now, I just want you to think about the disciples for a minute. The disciples don't bail on Jesus because of Judas betraying him, do they? I mean, they've got Jesus, the light of the world, right in front of them. Okay, Peter is going to deny him. Judas betrays him. But but they've got Jesus in front of them. Nobody's looking at Judas and going, well, that didn't work, so Jesus, I'm out. You know, think about the disciples. You have Simon the zealot. He's anti-Rome. And in that same group, you have Levi, the tax collector, collecting taxes for Rome. Rome. And you'd look at that, and you'd think, that's not going to work. And Jesus goes, it's perfect. That's going to be my group of followers. See, we don't love people because we find them likable. We love people because Jesus found them lovable and finds them lovable because of the gospel. I mean, just show of hands. you have some Christians you don't like? Okay, three of you are honest in here right now, all right? The rest of you are lying in church today. no you have some Christians you don't like? Yeah. Now think about this. There's some Christians that don't like you. But that's not what makes or breaks our tie to each other. You don't have to be best friends. But Jesus says, look, look, look. If you're going to point at people as the reason, it's not a very valid reason. You see a third objection here. End of verse 3. And they took offense at him. Now think about this for a minute. Just a verse or two before, what were they at him? They were amazed at him. They were amazed because they liked what they were seeing. And this felt good, and this looked good, and it was inviting. And this produced some, some happiness for them. But now, in just a couple of verses, they move from amazed to offended. Do you want to know why that is? Because part of what sin has done to us is just we have a fickle Human nature. We're very fickle. I mean, we can be on the mountaintop on Sunday. We've talked about this. And then you get to Monday, and it's like, oh, where's Jesus? We're all Eeyore walking around, right? Yeah. Because we can just get, we just get fickle. It's part of what sin does to us. Finally, a fourth objection. Jesus said to them in verse 4, A prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. See that fourth objection that you see and you hear from people? just familiarity. We just get overly familiar, don't we? And we always get a taste for something new and something new and something new, don't we? There's a great great quote by A.W. Tozer. He says this, he says, what you win people with, I'm totally paraphrasing, he said it way better than me, but what you win people with is what you win people to. That is, if you win somebody through the door, if you win somebody to Jesus with certain methods, you know what they'll do? They'll come back expecting that. And they'll get hung up on that until they get too familiar with it. You know, and so you'll hear people talk about, well, following Jesus, that was a phase, you know that was a certain time in my life, but I know now. You ask somebody about Jesus. You got into a conversation with somebody who talked about the Bible's full of contradictions, and, and I said, "Oh, like what parts?" And as we talked about it and shared a little bit with them, you know, they said, "Oh, I know what it says. I know what it says, right? Don't we do that? I already know what it says. I'm familiar with it." And we object. We, we have all these objections, and people, by human nature, have all these objections to following Jesus, don't we? There's a, there's a well-known comedian that um, he, he spotted um, Google reviews of churches, and, and it's wonderful to, to read, but it's also very frustrating. So I'm, I'm watching this guy, and he's talking about different Google reviews of, of different churches, and uh, he pulls one up. And it says uh, something along the lines of great church, loved the music, the spirit was so present, but the chairs were uncomfortable. The chairs were uncomfortable. Pulled up another one. Loved the people there, but they didn't do a worship song after the sermon. May not return. And then my favorite was one he pulled up. He said, one star, the paninis they served were terrible. And you're just reading this and you think, our objections are so feeble and they're so weak. And this guy goes on to say, I mean, can you imagine standing in eternity one day and you're next to Peter who was crucified upside down? You know, and just all those that are listed in Hebrews that were martyred for their faith. And are we really going to say like the chairs were uncomfortable or like I didn't like the music? There's an underground church in China right now that they are grateful if they're not found out gathering together. And yet we'll we'll find these objections, won't we? All kinds of objections. Now, those are just four objections. I'm sure there are more, but those four still play out today, don't they? And and the crazy thing that you could end up doing is you could actually spend the rest of your life trying to reason with all the objections people come up with. All of them. You, You know what I'm reminded of? is that how often Jesus was silent. Jesus, sure, he addressed some objections, usually in the form of a question to expose something going on in the heart of a person. But how often, like it is trial, he's silent and you're practically yelling at the passage, say something, say something. You could say anything. Legions of angels at your disposal. You could do anything right now. And yet he remained silent. You want to know why I think that is? Because Jesus didn't get his affirmation and his assurance from what people thought of him. He didn't. Because he had perfect fellowship with his heavenly father. And when you realize that, then it begins to change what maybe your your objective is when you come up against these objections that people have to Jesus. We'll get to that in a minute. But let me read you the outcome. Let me read you the outcome what happens when those objections run rampant. Where do we go here? Verse (laughs) 5, sorry. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. Now, I used to struggle with this verse so much because Mark uses this word could not. And the first thing you think is, well, if he's God, I mean, he's all-powerful. What do you mean he couldn't do something? What do you mean there was actually something he came up against here? And it's good for us to remember that, of course, he's all powerful. There were many situations Jesus came up against weak faith, and he was able to strengthen it. He was able to operate in the situation. He was able to, with a mustard seed of faith, do all kinds of things. He could have called legions of angels. To his aid when, when he was in need. So maybe it's not a power thing. Maybe it's a purpose thing. That when Jesus looks around, he he decided to tie his miracle-working ministry to that of faith. And so as he looked at that, he went, you know what? There are just some conditions that I recognize aren't present here. And it's not so much that he could not from a power perspective. that he would not. I'm not going to, it's as if he's saying to himself, I'm not going to violate the way this was perfectly designed. That faith is the vehicle that gets us through. Huh, how interesting. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. And then verse 6, he was amazed at their lack of faith. He was amazed at their lack of faith. They started this account amazed. He ended this account amazed. And twice we're told Jesus was amazed. Both had to do with faith. One was here at their lack of faith. Another was at the faith of a Roman centurion. whose servant was sick. But Jesus looked at it, and it makes sense that he was amazed. Because as he looked across people, you know what he noticed? That it was just so unkind because he had so yearned for them. And it was so unprofitable to them. And it was so sinful. And it was, it was so willful. And it was so dangerous because of what hung in the balance. A richer life with God. See, that's the outcome. When people are allowed to live in the objections. Over and over and over. As, as, you, as you continue through this. Sorry, let me back up for a second. Because I think I got to come back to our truth here for a second at the beginning. That limited views make a limited life. But when it comes to Jesus, it's this. That the life that holds limited views of Jesus limits, has a limited life with Jesus. Now, as you stop and think about your relationship with Jesus, are, are, are you running into some limits? Because it's possible. It's possible. I know it has been in my own life. That oftentimes what I've done is I've made him in my image. You know, I want him to be this spectacular, like it's an adrenaline rush every single moment of every single day. And it's all inspiration. And those times when they come, it's an incredible thing. And we ought to be grateful for him. But Isaiah told us, you know, he was not much to look at when he prophesied about this Savior. In many cases, he probably looked so ordinary. But this crowd that had been following him, they'd been seeing these miracles and wonders. And yet the, the, their faith had moved to those things instead of the one that the miracles were supposed to point them to. I want you to think about it this way. Suppose you show up at a hospital. You know, you're dealing with some pain. You know you've got to get in there and you can't find a parking spot. And so as you drive around, you end up at maybe an adjacent parking lot and there's, there are a couple spots left. And by this point, you can't really, you're not really sure the quickest way into the hospital. So you get parked, and you, you stop a passing driver who says, oh, yeah, I can get you there. So they park next to you, and they begin walking with you. And as you walk and as you talk and you get closer to the hospital, closer to the front row, people start looking at the person you're walking with, and they say, "Oh, well, hello, doctor. Hey, doc. And you find out it's the chief surgeon of the hospital. And he's got a spot reserved for him right up front. And yet as you go into the hospital and he says, hey, let's get you some help. All you can think about is, no, he's not the doctor. He's the guy who parked next to me. See, this is what they were doing to Jesus in Nazareth. Here is the great healer next to him. And yet all they can see is he's like the guy that parked next to me. And he yearns for them, and he yearns for us, and he yearns for the people around you as you walk through this week, as you go out these doors. He says, I am the great physician who has exactly what they need. If they'll see him, if they'll see him a a little bit differently, maybe beyond their objections. So what is our objective then? I mean, there's no doubt you've come up against these objections. I hope I'm not the only one. But when you come up against these objections, we really do have one objective. And I believe we've already read it. Well, I mean, When I look at this passage, there, there are two verses that jump out that I believe point to an objective for us. The first is verse one. Jesus left there where he had been and went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. Now what you got to remember is he had been in his hometown a year before. And do we remember what had happened there? They got so offended at what Jesus had been saying that you know what they did? They threw him out of the synagogue. They ran him out of town. And so when you read this verse, Jesus left there and went to his hometown. He went back. That's not a natural thing for us to do, is it? When we encounter rejection, what do we do? Yeah, we reject back. We just stay away. You want to know one of the the greatest I believe, faith growth exercises you could could encounter is to stop and think through where have you been rejected and return. Return there. And in doing so, you begin to live out the very gospel of Jesus Christ, who returned even to those who rejected him. But the other piece of this, I believe, is in verse 5. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. See, what, what I'm constantly reminded of, even as I read this passage, are those few sick people. You know, there's so much emphasis on the rejection and the people's objections and how they see him, and yet I wonder, I, I would love to talk to one of those few sick people that he healed. See, that's, that's not something we pay attention to very readily, do we? Because we, we want to see big, and we want to see miraculous and incredible. And yet, here were miracles happening to these few sick people. And so not only ought we return, as he did, to those that maybe we've been rejected by, but the second thing is this. Lord, open my eyes to what you do want to do here. Was his purpose maybe more limited in Nazareth? Absolutely. But that didn't stop life from oozing from him. I mean, he looked around and he found a few and he said, I can do something here and I'll do something here and I'll do something here. See, that's what happens when a life lets go of its limited views of Jesus. Now, as a church... As a church, do we want that for people? And again, maybe, maybe this is you and you've got to sit there and you've got to address some objections. Absolutely. And as you address those, know that there are many you encounter that go through them. So what does that mean for us? What does that mean? I believe this is going to sound funny. But to step into ministry with Jesus, and as we'll see next week, he's going to further invite his disciples into ministry it means a life of one of these. If you can't see this, it's a pen, just so you know. Okay. I know, it sounds so weird, because a pen is so ordinary, right? I mean, nothing much to look at. Let me tell you about pens, and I've got to read this, because the author of this, I'm not even sure who it is, but they said it so much better than I'm going to say it here. It's the incredible story of an unimpressive pen, The next time you're signing your name at the DMV or another U.S. government office, you probably won't notice the black pen in your hand. It is, after all, exactly like the dozens of other black pens you've used in post offices, courthouses, and other buildings throughout your adult life. You certainly won't think there's much of a story behind the modest implement that likely is not is chained to the well-worn desk you've been waiting to stand at. If you notice, there's always a chain Yeah, and it's always too short. Anyway, okay. But like everything, those pens have a story. For over 40 years, those Skillcraft pens, this is not one of them, but the Skillcraft pens have been assembled by blind factory workers in Wisconsin and North Carolina. They must meet rigorous government specifications to write continuously for a mile and within temperature swings from 40 below zero to 160 degrees Fahrenheit. The original design, brass ink tube, plastic barrel, not shorter than four and five-eighths inches, ball of 94% tungsten carbide, and 6% cobalt has changed little over the decades. It costs less than 60 cents. The standard length of the pen has helped lost Navy pilots navigate by map. The pen has been used as a two-inch bomb fuse and for emergency tracheotomies. It can write upside down. The pen has a rich, fascinating history woven together with war, peace, postage, bureaucrats, spies, work, and play. And you'd never know when you look at it. Okay, that is a pen. That's this pen. I will sell it to you for $10,000 after service. No, that's a pen. That's a pen. Think about it for a moment. Your savior who looks so ordinary to the people that you do life with all week long. He may look so ordinary that they object, and yet you have one objective, to go to them and say, Lord, what do you want to do here? With that in mind, the worship team, I'll invite you back up. Let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, you are so gracious to us that uh, even when we personally rejected you, You did for us what you did for the people in Nazareth. You came back. You came back and you came to us and maybe we've ranted and railed our complaints and our objections and our rejection at you, and yet you came back. And so, Lord, when we look around and when we see the the vast potential of a life with you that people can have, Lord, give us hearts to hang in there. Because rejection doesn't feel good for any of us. It can be like a no soliciting sign, to be honest. So, Lord, open our eyes to see where you want to continue to draw us back to those who object to you, to those who have rejected you. And then, Lord, give us hearts and open eyes to pray a prayer. Lord, what do you want to do here? Because we know that even one healed life you can do so much with.